Well, today we're looking at Isaiah, and we see Isaiah's declaration of God, and this will be, uh, we'll, we'll come to the chapter that we're going to speak on. But um, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, his robe, filled the temple. So this was about 740, 739 BCE, before the birth of Christ, that Isaiah's ministry, or this, this event that happens with Isaiah, takes place. And it is a very significant event. King Uzziah had been, in, uh, um, had been king for about 52 years, and um, he died of leprosy. And we'll figure out how he got leprosy in a little bit. Isaiah began his prophetic ministry that year that Uzziah died. Now, I remember um, studying it years ago, and it was, you didn't know if, um, wasn't quite sure if Isaiah was um, preoccupied or looked up to Uzziah, and it was his death that made him refocus his ministry or refocus his life to, to be a prophet for God. So we don't know that how that Uzziah was standing in, I don't want to say standing between God and Isaiah, but something was going on in a year, so he pinpoints the year that his prophetic ministry began. Um, Isaiah declares, I saw the Lord. So it was that Isaiah is telling us that he, um, he saw God. Now, whether or not it was... Um, that he, it appears that he was un, uh, in an unconscious state, that in, in this unconscious state, he saw God and saw the throne of God, where his inner eyes and his inner spirit saw God and God was revealed to him. So this experience recalls the experience of John, in the revelator in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation, where he also says that God is high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. So... John the Revelator in the book of Revelation and Isaiah both see the same, same throne room of God and they talk about it and very similarly, very similar, they are able to give us this picture about the throne room of God. His throne was greatly elevated. It was high and lifted up. His train refers to the um, items, his fringe, the fringes of his garment. They um, filled the temple, and the temple, um, though Isaiah may have had the temple in Jerusalem, the earthly temple, but there was this throne room of God, which is a heavenly temple, and that is the, that is the place that Isaiah tells us about what God um, has revealed to him. Isaiah's ministry is in and around uh, Jerusalem. He is, um, he is there for four kings, uh, Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So Isaiah's ministry then takes place during that time period into these four kings. He apparently came from a very distinguished family, uh, one of social rank, because he was able to have access to the temple and have access to the king. He, he was married. Now, how would you like to name your son's uh, these names. One is Shir Yashrub, <laughs> yeah, Shir Yashrub, uh, and which means a remnant shall return. Now, oh, you know, it's like you had to have a, 
a meaning, and then you had to attach a name to it. So Isaiah is writing about the children of Israel coming back and being part, getting back to their original uh, commitment to God and, and, and not backsliding or going off into these um, uh, worship of these idols. And then his second son was, now this is, this is a good one, Maher Shalom Hashbuz. Now, that's the nearest I could come up with, with by listening to these guys on the internet pronounce it. And um, Mahir Shala Hashbaz, which means hastening to the spoil or hurrying to the prey. So he was, he was telling, by the name of his children, he was telling the nation and, and reminding himself of the promises that God had given. So having been reared in Jerusalem... He was an appropriate individual for um, a political and religious counselor to the nation and to the king. So Isaiah is this, quite this, um, well, as we know as reading in the, the book of Isaiah, he is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And um, so we see in this kind of this, in the year the king Uzziah died and all these, type, all these things going on, we see how that... Um, Isaiah was able to, as he was called to the ministry, called to this office of being a prophet. But sadly enough, even though Uzziah prospered and he reigned for 52 years, Judah developed a strong commercial and military state. It had a port for commerce, commerce on the Red Sea, constructed walls around Jerusalem, towers and fortifications, but in all of that, they had a great spiritual decline. And so King Uzziah's downfall was his attempt, he, for, for whatever reason, he wanted, he wanted God to, um, I can say, maybe answer one of his prayers. And so he goes into the temple, and he burns incense on the altar to God. Well, he's, that's forbidden. It, you know, this, he's not allowed to do that. <laughs> it, was, it was the priest's duty to go into the temple and burn incense to God and he took it upon himself to do that and he was struck with leprosy and um, it was a sad decline for the king he began with a reformation of trying to reform Israel and bring them back to God and then he finds himself in a position where the Assyrians are the Assyrian empire is coming and they are conquering all the cities and they want to have um, uh, Jerusalem pay this great um, tribute to to Assyria and uh, King King uh, Ahaz has um, wanting to um, have to pay this this large amount of money. Well, in 701 B.C., Hezekiah became very ill and with a life-threatening disease, and probably it was with this leprosy. And he prayed to God, and God gave him an extension on his life for 15 years. So when the Assyrians then came in that same time period, in 701 B.C., Sennacherib, the, the um, Assyrian king, invaded the coast of Israel, and he marched towards um, Egypt on the southern border of, of Israel. And in the process, the Assyrian king overran many of the Judean towns and you know, conquered them and took the people back to Assyria. You know, it was their way of... Uh, dealing with all this uh, unrest and, you know, you weren't paying your money, so we'll take your people. Well, 
he sent a small force to besiege Jerusalem, and what happens is they couldn't do it. <laughs> so then um, the Assyrian king, he, he sent a large force, to a uh, large army to besiege Jerusalem, and we find with Isaiah's encouragement, Hezekiah refused. He said, we're not paying that. And so what happens is Isaiah has insight here that we're not going to pay. God's going to protect us, and we don't have to pay, pay all this tribute to this king anymore. Well, the king had his army outside of Jerusalem, and this is when 185, the angel of the Lord came, and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed in one night. So it's not good to do battle with God. <laughs> it's not good to do, um, take, take uh, when, a, when an empire tries to take on God, they're going to fail. And we're going to see that in Jerusalem and, and in, um, in Israel today. When people try to take on God, they're not going to do it. And God has, uh, in the past, for whatever reason, uh, brought, allowed Hitler and the Holocaust and all that to, you know, trying to exterminate Israel, but it's not going to happen anymore. God is going to take them on, and uh, God is going to have the victory over all these things that are, that are happening. Whether anyone stands with them or not, uh, Israel will not be defeated. Well, in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning at verse 6, we have, we have this declaration, uh, uh, Isaiah's declaration of God. So we have all these things that I just went over as kind of a, a, a way to, to illustrate how that Isaiah and how his interaction with the king and with Israel, how that, um, it ha you know, what, what's happening in this, in this situation. Well, in Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he will freely pardon. So this, these uh, verses here kind of give to us the... Um, um, ways that sinful Israel could come back to a right relationship with God. And Isaiah here puts it, puts it in words, seek the Lord while he may be found. So here is Isaiah's declaration of man's plans and inevitably fails and falters, but the Lord's plans are different. So when he promises forgiveness and restored blessing for his people, he will be true to his word. God will be true to his word to restore and to bless. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Here is one of the clearest Old Testament invitations to receiving salvation, forgiveness. Um, it gives an excellent example of how people were saved during the, during the Old Testament time period. We often think of it as the laying, on, laying their hands upon the animal and the animal was uh, put to death and its blood was sprinkled upon the altar but it was it was to be more than just that it was to be an act of the heart and of contrition and of forgiveness and wanting forgiveness from God just not just doing some act of um, killing an animal it was to be some an attitude of the heart of of being sorry for their sins so salvation and grace and mercy God was extending to the um 
to the uh, people of Israel. And they were available to the soul that was willing to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We must pray and pursue a deeper relationship with God. That's what the seeking of the Lord. Seek is to approach God through prayer and repentance. So seeking God is um, a way of praying and repenting and making sure there's no obstacles between us and God, that we haven't sinned or in thought, word, or deed, or we haven't done something that would come between God and us. So we are, we are wanting God to hear our prayers. And so we begin by uh, seeking God and approaching God in prayer and repentance. While there is still time of his response. Now, we don't often think of that particular verse while there is still time. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. And this, what's there is um, uh, Noah. And how that the, the people, they saw Noah building this ship. I mean, it's humongous ship for years it would have taken him to build this ship. And they, they saw him doing this, but they were not moved to repentance. Noah had a message of repentance, but they were not moved to it. The animals came and, you know, they filled up the ark, and, but they were not moved towards it, to, towards Noah. In fact, they, they, may, they, were very, they were very critical of him. Well, God has given people limited amount of time to receive his salvation. We don't often think of that, but when people have a seared conscience, that is, they have no contrition, they have no desire for forgiveness, because they don't think that they need forgiveness. There is no God, they just do as they please, and so it's that type of a, an animosity toward God and his forgiveness that causes people to uh, resist the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so it's telling, telling them, God's, God is not always going to strive with you. If you, have, if you have an inclination to serve God, you have an inclination for forgiveness, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's wanting us to be in this relationship with with him so we can receive what God has to, to give us. And so the opportunity to accept a personal relationship with God is what is presented. He goes on to say, the day is coming when it will be too late for people to respond to his invitation. And this would be like the ark. It was sealed up and it began to rain and, and the floods came and the people would have wanted to get in, but it was too late. They couldn't get in the boat. And so... They will look for him. They will look for God, but they will not be able to find him. So we are to call on him while he is still available. Meaning that for us, for those who believe in Christ and those who pray, it is important to know that God is available and that he is there for us to hear and to uh, bring us into this relationship with him where he wants to give to us his strength. When a person genuinely seeks in faith with repentance is, is part of what is going on here, that we seek, genuinely seek with repentance, which is taking, of one's, uh, it is taking one's evil ways and thoughts and turn from their sinful living to the Lord. Take, and it, it, it's, it's also talks about thoughts, and we're, it picks up even further. Um, verse 7, Isaiah 55. 
Let the wicked, which is referring to those away from God, forsake or abandon their ways. So those who are wicked need to forsake, to abandon um, their, their, their life that is, against from God, that is against God. And it is a deliberate and personal choice to get away from those, those things that are uh, causing us to um, be drawn uh, away from God. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Taking captive every thought to bring, into, bring our thoughts into subjection, that our thoughts can betray us. <laughs> our thoughts can, um, can be arguing with God. Our thoughts of uh, whenever we are maybe tempted, the, the, uh, the thoughts that want us to go and give in to temptation are arguing with God. That, you, you, you know, we're, it's a kind of an argument back and forth. But let us turn to the Lord. Do that 180 degrees. And he, God, will have mercy on us. And we will turn to our God and he will freely pardon. And he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8. Remember our bringing our thoughts into captivity? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God wants us to recognize, yes, you have thoughts, and you have ways that you, seems, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So take control of your thoughts. Forsake the unrighteous thoughts. And you can know God's thoughts by knowing his word and allowing the spirit to inspire his words. God's thoughts and ways are not those of humans, our own, on our own, we could never comprehend God's grace, mercy, and purpose. We can't, we can't fathom what God's grace is. We can't fathom the great purpose that God has for us. So allow ourselves to not try to put God in a box with our own thoughts, but let us see what God's word tells us and go according to his word. Ecclesiastes 9.16 Excuse me, Exodus 9.16. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Why is God doing all this? He's doing it so that his name can be declared through all the earth, through what you, through your life. Um, verse 9 of Isaiah 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, thoughts. <laughs> Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts towards us. How wonderful are God's thoughts towards us bringing our thoughts into subjection to God is not, is, you know, kind of, you know, you can't shut down thinking, but you have to recognize that sometimes we're not thinking God's thoughts and that he is saying here that your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted. 
So we're looking at this, how, how good and how many are his thoughts towards us. And Isaiah is writing about this, and we see it popping up in, in throughout the scriptures uh, as to how God is thinking about us and thinking about our life. I would declare, if I would declare and speak of them, the thoughts that God has for us, there are more than can be numbered. What God is thinking about us are more than can be numbered. Psalm 139, 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me. How precious are God's thoughts to us. How great is the sum of them. God weighs, God's ways in my ways. Which one are we going to choose? Hmm. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> We don't, have to, uh, we don't have to think about it. Well, of course we're going to do God's thoughts. Why? Because they are greater, and they are for us and not against us. But many people think they have, God's, they have God figured out, that God is just a, a, someone who is just a little greater than, than humankind, and the great minds of our world and philosophies of our world are, are almost equal with God, if not greater than God. <laughs> uh, they're, they're in for a rude awakening. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name, excuse me, I will write on him the name of my God. The name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven. So God has all these things, his thoughts towards us. He has a future towards us. He has plans for us. Verse 10 of Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow, I guess we should be grateful for that snow. <laughs> As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Isaiah seems to come alive at this, at this point. From the introduction of the grand figure of the lofty heavens and the dome above the earth, that God is blessing the earth with his rains and his snow. And if the effects of what he says is uh, rain and snow, that, it, that they are high and um, inaccessible, the reason of God's thoughts, they are high and inaccessible. And how the moisture which they drop on the earth is for the seed of the sower and the bread for the eater. <laughs> so does God's word come down from his throne. Does it, return, does it turn barrenness into a great harvest? Does it quicken the powers of fruitfulness in human nature and amongst the forces of the world? So it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater water, his, pro, his, his divine progress. Then verse, verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. This is, this is I, I think, one of those anchor verses for our life that God's word is going to accomplish what it was set out to do. You see, when we quote or live by his, 
his text and by his word, we find that it is accomplishing something. It is, you know, the word of the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And, you know, it was made by his, he spoke the world into existence. And we find that here he is saying that his word will accomplish a certain specific task in our life and for the those around us. Um, the word of God will likewise produce its intended results. So shall my word be. God's word is creative. So God is saying, so shall my word be. I will speak my word and it will create. Create in me a clean heart. How? He says, if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. Go create in me a clean heart. The word of God creates. The word of God speaks blessing. The word of God gives to us innumerable he, his thoughts towards us cannot be numbered, and they are all good. <laughs> so that's why God's thoughts and our thoughts. Heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours. So Isaiah is declaring these truths for us to be able to see how wonderful it is to have a God like we have, and that he is writing in, in these verses. He's writing about how that God will speak his word into our life. And I'll read uh, 15, the, this, this chapter again, um, 55, 6 to 11. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, and do not return there, but waters the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. It will prosper for the thing for which I send it. That's why we want God's thoughts and his word to be part of us because it will prosper and it will accomplish his divine purpose. That's why it's his thoughts, not ours. It's his ways and his honor and his glory. And God promises to bring blessing and honor through that. Jesus, we thank you for hearing knowing us better than we know ourselves. We ask you, Lord, to bless your word to our heart. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us by your spirit and your word. Um, give us strength for each day. We pray for healing for our life. We pray for grace and mercy to, to be extended to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.